This is my instant reaction to Eternals. Pardon my voice, I'm sick. I attended a wedding around a great many other people, and I got sick. It's sunny, tropical Akron, Ohio, but it is fall as F, as the kids said five years ago. So you have to forgive me. My throat hurts, and I got a lot of podcasting to do. Let's get that out of the way. I'm going to be uh, on the countdown. I'm recording with them over the weekend, and that should drop on their feed on Tuesday, the same day as our next episode. And we're doing the top 10 flops of the 2010s. That should be a good one. I'll be there with friend of the show and a contributing member of Binge Movies, Paul. And I will be there with sexy-ass Wayne, um, who could have been an eternal for all that matter, you know. Uh, Paul is a Megazord, which we'll get to that. Um, also, uh, coming up Tuesday, uh, this is, uh, we're continuing the season. Uh, we're going to continue the season with odd movies of the 90s. Five films you likely haven't heard of, uh, some of which you probably should go out of your way to find. Uh, or maybe not, we'll find out. But uh, David Rosen from Peace and Together Pod will be back for that. It's a fun episode. Uh, things get a little weird. David is somebody who is both unflustered and um, I don't know that he experiences stress as a human being. Maybe he's an eternal. I'm not sure. Um, but he also is very, very polite. So when he disagrees with somebody, he just goes, okay. And uh, take a shot every time he says, okay, uh, on this episode uh, coming out Tuesday. So. I will be on the countdown. That's uh, two Jasons on a Tuesday. Is it too much? I don't know. Too much Jason on your Tuesdays, two times on the same Tuesday? I don't know. Uh, can you get enough? I don't know. Speaking of uh, more Jason, more binge movies, I am working diligently behind the scenes as we speak for a uh, brand new member experience. We have people who support the show on a monthly basis, and I'm appreciative of all of those. And um, we're, I'm working to create a new platform uh, for all kind of content. And I'm not quite ready to announce it yet, but there's going to be a lot of exciting stuff. So if you haven't followed us already, go to Twitter, at Binge Movies. Give us a follow if you're on Twitter. Uh, follow us on Letterboxd, letterboxd.com backslash Binge Movies. You can also get some show merch at bingemovies.threadless.com. And... Uh, Keep an eye out for announcements for what's coming up. So we're going to be doing a, a lot of stuff, a lot of new types of content. So as usual with these instant reactions, I literally just walked out of the movie theater, sat down in front of a microphone. I have no notes. I have no thought process of exactly what I'm going to say. It's a stream of consciousness kind of a thing. And I will stick to spoiler-free up front and uh, spoiler-filled on the back end. And I will demarcate that for you so you don't have to be ruined. I know I'm getting this, uh, getting to see this ahead of a lot of people. 
bear with me, bear with my voice. Spoiler-free portion. Falcon and the Winter Soldier did not have enough story to justify even the most limited of series. It could have made for a fairly mediocre uh, movie, fairly mediocre action movie. Um, not a great one, but a, a fairly mediocre one. Uh, outside of the Isaiah Bradley of it all, there really wasn't a whole lot going on in that story. You know, some of that may be to some edits due to the global pandemic and whatever, whatever. But uh, that's a thing that, in retrospect, could have used a script rewrite and could have used being a theatrical film. This probably should have been a streaming uh, show. And um, I'm going to say this. Look, it's, this thing's got pretty bad reviews. Uh, the audience score is fairly low, and the critic score is fairly low. And it's pretty divisive on the internet because it's Marvel. And so if you're a big-time Marvel fan or if you're a big-time science fiction or fantasy fan, right, high fantasy almost, um, you're probably going to like this. If you really like Jack Kirby and the DC New God stuff or his run in Marvel, then you're probably going to like this. This is filled with Celestials and Eternals and, you know, almost a... a, a um, the introduction of basically deities into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And if you want to watch a movie made by a naturalistic director who's making a big budget tentpole poetic film about godlike beings who also have to be kind of quippy some of the time and have occasional action scenes, if that's like something that you know whether or not that's in your bag or not. If it is, you're probably going to enjoy this movie. I did not leave the movie thinking this movie sucks. If you had polled me within the first 10 minutes, I would have said this movie stinks. If you would have polled me at the end of the first hour plus, hour 20, I don't know, uh, I still would have said this movie stinks. And the principal issue is there's too much story. There's too many characters. We have no time to get to know any of these characters. Um, they are, it's, it's, it's a, not a failure of concept. It's a failure of execution. There's too much going on here. We're re-mythologizing the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We're completely changing and setting a whole new stage for what is going on in the MCU. Okay? We are providing origins of a type, um, and I don't want to go beyond that for spoilers, while we're introducing completely brand new characters, damn near 10 of them, I think it's nine of them, and then multiple villains or villainous characters, and we're playing around with shades of gray, and there's subterfuge and things that are not what they seem, you know, just typical stuff, typical plotty stuff and all of that is necessarily fine on paper and some of it's fine in this movie it's just that there's just too much of it it's it's too much of it and they did this interesting thing where they really i think tried to make some distinct characters that all of these eternals are fairly distinct from each other and they all seem to have distinct voices what they don't have is chemistry these people, this cast of killers, I mean that in the, you know, 
good sense, right? A murderer's row, um, they have no chemistry, which is odd, right? Because you have Gemma Chan, Richard Madden, Kit Harrington, Angelina Jolie, Don Lee, Kumal Nujani, Brian Tyree Henry, and many more. All these people are fine in their own right. You know, Salma Hayek, if I didn't say her already. All of these people are fine in their own right and to even really good. And I would say not only do they not have chemistry, I think some of the performances in this movie are actively bad. They're actively bad. If you told me that due to COVID, they had to shoot this movie in such a way where these actors were not even on the same soundstage or they weren't in the gallery at the same time or they weren't you know I I, th I think this was one of the ones that was actually shot they made a big deal of that like in real places like a real movie if you had told me that these people were not on in the same Tunisian desert uh, or they weren't in South America at the same time I would probably believe you in certain scenes not because it looks like they're digitally inserted with each other it doesn't look like they are you know, like it, it, it doesn't seem as if their performances are modulated off of each other. It doesn't seem as if they know each other at all. And that becomes a problem. Now, part of it seems to be intentional. And part of it is these are eternal beings that have lived for eternity. I mean, I mean I'm being redundant, but that's basically it, right? These are immortals. Um, these are demigods of a sort. And they have come to earth millennia ago and have been involved in have been involved in the affairs of man right periodically throughout time right and they have inspired our myths and our legends and probably more than that um but maybe even our religions right um interesting concept and so maybe there is something about them that's a little bit uh, removed, a little cold even, or a little um, transcendent. But then the movie really wants us to care about these Eternals as people because it's mostly a drama uh, about their relationships. And... Um, you know, the word family gets thrown around 50 million times, but it is about the relationships with each other and their identity and their purpose and um, the human race and how each of them sort of distinctly defines themselves or sees themselves in a relationship to human beings on earth. That's an inherently interesting kind of concept. And I will praise the movie for this. It's different. It's different than uh, any other Marvel movie. And I would say this that even the flaws are different. What's wrong here or what doesn't work here, I think it's probably, at least for me, is a better way of saying it, is different than what didn't work in, say, like um, Black Widow or something or um, uh, what's another one? Like uh, parts of Shang-Chi that didn't really work for me or uh, some of these other Phase 4 Marvel properties or any of the Phase Marvel properties. So... What's going on here is different, and so the flaws are a little bit different. If we're going to have these characters which are transcendent and their performances are going to be a little removed, a little cold, a little distant, then maybe we need to cut out so much of the quipping and the 
There, there is a whole kind of um, comedic beat. I'm not going to spoil it. That's played around the Kingo character, which is Kamal Nujani, and mm, Camille. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Camille. Kumail. Kumail Nujani. There's a whole like comedic beat. It's hard to call it a subplot that happens around the Kumail Nujani character, and it just doesn't like work. It, it, it isn't that it just doesn't work. It's like the movie doesn't commit to the bit. The movie doesn't really. It feels like a foreign entity. It feels like somebody tried to insert some Marvel stuff into a Chloe Zhao movie. It's like they sprinkled in, not too heavy handed, but they sprinkled in enough of like familiarity or try to in a movie where it's not really in that formula at all. And it, it just doesn't really work. It just doesn't really work. And so if, even if I give the movie the benefit of the doubt and say these performances are modulated in such a way as to convey how transcendent these beings are, okay, right? Like they're not quite man, not quite God, right? They're demigods, basically, or angels or something, right? Uh, if that's kind of what they are, right, um, I can sort of buy into that. But then you can't root the drama into their personal relationships and identities and uh, how they, what they think of the human race. Now, what I'll praise the movie for, what I'll praise the movie for is even all the way up to the third act, there are characters that do things that you wouldn't necessarily expect completely. And I thought that that was interesting. It maybe, again, I think the word that just is, is coming to me is just execution. I don't know if it's on the direction level. I don't know whether or not it's on the screenplay level. I think the movie's to it. It's probably overly ambitious. I think if we're going to get to know these immortals, these eternals, and you, the, the culmination of this story is going to be built around their relationships with themselves, their identities with each other, et cetera, et cetera. And I think we almost needed to take time to, in a, in a television way on Disney Plus, of getting to know each one of these characters, spending a little time. And maybe each episode is in a different time of human history, because that's the other thing this movie's got going on. We're jumping forwards and backwards in time by millennia. By millennia. And we're seeing them interact with entirely different civilizations from one scene to the next. And while that's interesting um, and it's beautifully shot, why, when you're doing that with nine characters that we don't know, and let me just count, make sure I'm right. One, two... <laughs> Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten characters. I apologize. Sorry, Angelina Jolie. I forgot about you. And Don Lee, who's, uh, of course, known for Train to Busan. Uh, he's best character in that movie. Um, and a good character in this one. Uh, decent enough. Um, we got ten characters. We don't know who the heck they are. And uh, I'm going to spoil this for you because it doesn't really matter. The movie opens up with white text scrawling on the screen. And that's usually a sign of bad storytelling. Just usually is, right? It's like, uh, we got to get some exposition over the hump before the movie even begins. That's a sheer sign that something didn't go right. Or they don't, the, the studio doesn't feel confident that the ideas are clear enough 
and the text of the film itself. So they have to add like a, 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 pr- a prologue, essentially. Um, parts of this movie, especially in the first hour, most definitely felt like high-budget 80s fantasy films. You know, a, a modern version of not quite sword and sorcery, but sword and sorcery on alien planet kind of movies. It definitely has the feel of high concept, uh, bungled execution that those movies have where it's like, okay, well you tried and there's some ideas here and there's some interesting stuff here, but the execution just isn't there. And uh, I can't really say beyond that without really getting into spoilers, but um, I like the second half better. I like the third act better than anything else in the movie, which is kind of interesting because that is uh, where the bulk of the action takes place. And usually it's the other way around for me, which is I I really care about kind of character development. My brain checks out during the action sequences, but we got plot development and not necessarily character development in a movie that wants us to believe that's all about characters. And it's really more about plots. And all of those plots are uh, kind of boring, uh, to be honest with you. And that's my biggest criticism of the movie is that it's uh, pretty boring. It feels cold and kind of lifeless. The attempts at humor and uh, attempts at charisma and attempts at chemistry between every character on the screen uh, fall flat. And the young actress who plays Sprite, uh, I will just say this, that uh, she's terrible in this film. Uh, as is Richard Madden, as is Salma Hayek, as is Angelina Jolie, as is Kumail Nujani, Um And Gemma Chan isn't much better either. So too much plot, too many characters, not enough time to get us invested. Odd performance choices, bad performances, and way too much story. Uh, It leaves you just kind of, it doesn't suck, but it's not good. That's what I would leave it as. So would I recommend it? I'd say uh, go see Dune and IMAX. And uh, I think you could probably wait for Disney Plus on this one, to be honest with you. I don't think, you know, is it big? Is it epic? Is it huge in scale? Yes. Is it competently made? Of course. It's Chloe Zhao who just won Best Director for Nomadland at the last um, Oscar. So uh, great great director. Um, I just think something here, I don't even know who to pin it on. I just think there's just, it is, it is, it is stretching through the outermost reaches of time and stretching through the outermost reaches of the Marvel cosmos while also having way too many characters, um, 10 characters, cosmic deity plot lines, and all of human history and trying to wrap that up in, you know, a couple hours and some change. Too tough. Just too tough. This one falls flat. Uh, it's a misfire. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if this one doesn't do great. Uh, and I, I'll, I'll, I'll say this, I'll finish up my spoiler-free portion. Phase four uh, has been more misses than hits for me, if you're asking me. I think it's really, which it's like a team, right? You just won a championship. So you're, we're kind of in a rebuild here. And, um, yeah, we'll see there. We'll see if we get another one of these. I would be surprised if we ever saw these characters again, uh, in, especially in their own standalone film. I would be surprised. 
Okay, uh, let's go to spoilers portion, and uh, that's about it. So I'll wrap it up. I don't have much more to say about this one. So if you don't want to hear spoilers, click off now. If you don't care, we've already seen the movie. Let's keep rolling. In five, four, three, two, one, spoilers. Okay, last chance, turn back. Let's get into spoilers. Richard Madden, heel turn, not that big of a surprise. I figured uh, he seemed like a villain the whole time, or he seemed like a piss poor actor, and I think it was both. I he he was just abysmal in this movie. Uh, at no point did I think any of the romantic configurations that happened in this film were believable. I didn't think these people cared about each other. Uh, I thought the plot twisty kind of a thing of the Eternals uh, think they're heroes, but they're not really heroes. They're not really bad guys either. They're in this world of gray, which is they serve a purpose, and you could kind of justify their existence. You know, they cultivate life for the purpose on planets that have been seeded with uh, celestials for the purpose of those planets eventually reaching a peak. The celestial gets enough energy breaks out of the planet like as if it were an egg and then seeds the universe with more galaxies. So the life of a few billion leads to the life of hundreds of billions or tens of billions of people or however they calculate it. So uh, it's almost like a reverse Thanos kind of a thing where Thanos is like, there's too many people in the universe and not enough resources. Uh, the celestials released this one who's behind this is like, I gotta, I'm a God who's got to raise up more gods. Um, so that we can make more people. I'm, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, there's a lot of stuff in the trailer that isn't in the movie, which you probably have noticed, or you, you know, rephrasing of things. Um, every character here is given kind of a little bit of a subplot, but again, I think they'd be better served in, in if we'd been given, you know, uh, uh, more time with these characters. I don't want 20 some episodes of this. But I think if we had been given more time to get to know these characters and attach to them, this story would matter more. Because we've seen the Earth be destroyed a, a bunch of times. And so when they're like, the Earth's going to be destroyed, and we've got how many days? We don't know, you know, all this sort of stuff. I thought most of the deviant stuff didn't really work. I didn't really understand why all of a sudden the deviant evolved who was able I guess the ideas are apex predators, but who was able to take the powers of the Eternals and then it continued to evolve and turn into, I know it's a character from the comic books, probably deeply reimagined. And then the whole fight with Angelina Jolie and the killing of Gilgamesh and all this sort of stuff. I was just sort of like, okay. I thought all the deviant stuff was kind of, kind of pointless. Um, I thought it was a very boring, bland movie up until the last 40 minutes or so. Am I excited for Kit Harrington as the Black Knight? I guess. Uh, am I excited for Harry Styles as Star Fox, the brother of Thanos, a.k.a. Eros, I think? Uh, he said something like, hello, my fellow Eternals. Um, so I, I'm, I'm very, the cosmology of Marvel in the MCU is getting lost on me. I think it's Celestials, Eternals, Titans, and then, like, superhuman people, and then people. Where's Joe when you need him? I think that's, I need a chart 
the cosmology of Jack Kirby's universe, but in particular, the MCU's interpretation of it. Because when he says, my fellow Titans, or my fellow uh, Eternals, does that mean that uh, Thanos was an Eternal? Because he's Thanos' brother? And in what way is he Thanos' brother? What does that really mean? Well, <coughs> has to be adopted, right? Because he's uh, Harry Styles. Um, I'm not particularly excited about that. Like, I wasn't like, oh, that stinks. But, okay, there's Pip, who is a v- very obvious CGI character who comes out of a wormhole drunk and introduces Star Fox. Okay. Uh, we'll see where that goes. And then uh, <clears throat> the entire uh, the after credit scene where Kit Harrington towards the end of the movie is like, well, actually, I got to tell you something about my family. It's like, well, did you just learn that in the last however long it's been? Uh, the, this relationship between the two of them, between Kit Harrington, and if you like Kit Harrington, you're like, I'm excited for him to be in this movie. He ain't much of it. So hold on to your horses. Uh, his whole relationship with Cersei, uh, which is also kind of funny, right? You got Kit Harrington in a relationship with someone named Cersei. That can't be lost on him. Um, <coughs> but Gemma Chan, I didn't buy their relationship at all. And then, like, it's just kind of nothing on a personal level really worked. Uh, but I did find the concepts and the ambition interesting. I think of everything that worked probably the best was Brian Tyree Henry. And I think it's because even in the flashbacks, he's kind of presented as the most human. And so then when we meet up with him and he's with his husband and his son, uh, you kind of instantly connect with him. And I think he's the only one who like is like kind of getting this across the table. Like, I think he's the only one that is like competently handling this material which is sort of odd to say. Commando Johnny, uh, I didn't think any of his stuff worked. I thought he had maybe one or two funny lines. Typically like him, but I didn't think any of this worked, and I don't think it was his fault, but um, I think the interesting, most interesting thing was his character's turn, which is like, I'm not going to kill a Celestial. Like, I'm not Icarus. I'm not going to turn heel on you. I'm not going to try to kill you, but I'm also, uh, I also do serve the Celestials, and I'm not going to kill a Celestial either. So I'm not going to hurt you because I love you and you're my family. Uh, but I just ask that you respect my beliefs. Uh, there's some ham-fisted kind of multicultural plural plurality of, hey, like, let's all just get together and you, the unity will bring us together. And if we can just form a unified mind, we can conquer all of our problems. And it's a little ham-fisted, but with the state of the world that we're in, I have a hard time kind of pooping on that message. I think it's a message we all need to hear. Uh, I, I, I like the idea of this movie. I like the idea of a diversified cast of characters who are all distinct and different from each other, who all have different complexities going on. Um, that's, that's Marvel's like sweet spot, especially in the comic books. That's what, that's what you get with an Avengers or with an X-Men in particular, uh, and probably Eternals as well. That has not necessarily translated yet to the big screen uh, in a sophisticated way. And I think this is the first attempt at that. And so uh, I don't really want to see another Eternals movie per se, but I wouldn't, 
I wouldn't mind seeing some more, maybe some more of these characters turn up. Um, the movie does end with saying Eternals will return. Does that necessarily mean in their own film? Uh, Captain Marvel's not even getting her own sequel. So uh, I, I'd be hard pressed to say that I think this is going to get greenlit for a second film. But stranger things have happened. Uh, I, it, it's just hard. It's, it's really hard to like, you know, what, what do you, what do you say at a certain point? Like they invented the bronze age. Like, okay. Like <laughs> it just feels like a really overly ambitious, uh, it feels like a really overly ambitious eighties fantasy film with way better special effects. Um, and feels kind of woefully unsuccessful at certain points. But at the same time, I didn't walk away going, boy, that sucked. Um, it kind of picked it, it kind of pulled itself enough together at the end to make me go, oh, okay, all right, well, that was something. So I'm, I'm not actively cheering for it, but I did not actively despise my experience watching it. So those are my thoughts on the most recent entry into the MCU. Uh, at least it was something different than us to say. Some different. If you're going to fail, at least fail in new ways. So uh, I could have lived without so many DC references. Batman, Superman, Robin, all this sort of stuff. I was like, I, what is with all these DC references? They're, it's not like, I don't know. It's just weird. Very, very strange. So, um, yeah, those are my thoughts on it. That's my instant reaction. You tell me what you thought. Have you seen Eternals yet? If so, did you like it? Does this review make you want to jump out and see it if you haven't already? I just spoiled the whole thing for you. Uh, pretty much. Um, what did you think of the twists, the turns, the character evolutions? Uh, did, did you give a shit about anybody in this movie? Not because of the actor who portrayed the character, uh, but because of the actual story that was being told to you. And let me ask you the ultimate question. Did, did you find the acting to be as deplorable as I did? I'm interested to know. So let me know. Uh, you can, of course, comment on the episode. Somebody just did that recently, which is pretty interesting. I haven't had that in a while at bingemovies.podbean.com. You can, of course, comment on Twitter, uh, twitter.com backslash bingemovies or at bingemovies. And you can always email us at bingemovies at gmail.com. Make sure to follow us on Letterboxd. Find the store on Threadless and get ready for a brand new uh, members uh, platform kind of a deal we'll be rolling out here for 2022. I'm excited about it. Uh, are you excited about Eternals? Do you want more of this stuff? Or you, have you had enough like me? Let me know. I want to hear from you. And of course, until next time, binge on. Binge on.